Well, it is good to see you. I was hiding in the other room because I'm not feeling well, so. Uh, but it is good to be here. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, if you'll turn there to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're looking this morning, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. If you've missed some of the messages, they're not available online right now because we've changed the process. Uh, they will be soon, uh, but they are available on CD format. If you've missed some, we can get them to you. And uh, same with the adult Sunday school class that's been going on. Tim's been doing a survey through the New Testament, and you can get that. If you've missed some, that'd be great. Uh, and this morning, we're looking at seeking God's glory in your home. These are kind of small homes. Uh, you see in the middle there, there's a couple of kids standing, and... Uh, so they're not huge houses, they're small homes, and small homes seem to be the movement in our country. <laughs> uh, I guess it's really going crazy in England because they've run out of land, and there's housing shortages all over England right now. Um, so we thought our house was fairly small, 1,500 square feet with seven of us living in it. That's a big house compared to these. Don't think of the house, think of the home. Home is where you live. It could be an apartment, it could be an RV, it could be a house, it could be a mansion, home. You make it a home. It's a house before you move in, you make it a home. So seeking God's glory in your home. Father, as we look to your word, we pray that we would apply it to our own lives, that we wouldn't just think about other people who might need to hear this, that we wouldn't tune out because some of it doesn't specifically apply to us, that we would listen to your Holy Spirit, that we would listen to your word, that we would be drawn closer to you for having been in your house on your day. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, we're going to start there. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, maybe we should all say that together. All the guys join with me in reading verse 18. Ready? If you're sitting by your spouse, you can look at her while you say these words. Uh, Colossians 3.18. Ready? Just the men. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. All right. Now, ladies, you get your turn. Uh, on verse 19, it's... The ladies turn to read. I'll go ahead and read it, and then you ladies join with me. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Hey, love your spouse for God's glory. Love your spouse for God's glory. Now, if you're not married, you think, okay, great, another sermon on marriage, just what I need. I'm not married. Don't have prospects, or maybe you were once, and now you're not, and you're kind of glad that it, you're not. Um, you know, some marriages are difficult, and, uh, but any of God's truths help us. So you can learn things, talking about a marriage, that you can apply to other relationships, and you can also share his truth with other people. Uh, you can apply these truths to other relationships in your own life, share these truths to other people in their lives. In our culture, marriage is under attack. So we should want to have an idea of what marriage should look like. 
what a godly family would look like. And, but Ephesians 5 also says that the relationship between a husband and wife is a picture of God's relationship. The relationship of Jesus Christ with the church is a picture of the husband and wife relationship. So we should care about marriages because it reflects the divine nature of God. How many of you in this room have either endured a very difficult marriage or a divorce or a difficult marriage that led to a divorce or a close family member of yours or a close friend has gone through that? Raise your hand. Look around. Everywhere. Somebody close to us or we have endured those things all around the room. And so people get the idea that there is an ideal marriage. I remember counseling a guy once, and uh, I asked him, I said, what does an ideal marriage look like? And he said, well, like yours and Kathy. <laughs> I cracked up laughing. I said, yeah, you can't pull that one on Kathy. She knows better. The truth is the only place you'll find an ideal marriage is right here in the pages of Scripture. Out here in the real world, not that the Bible's not real world, but we do not experience ideal on planet Earth. We compare ourselves to ideal. We, we try to focus on it so that we can grow and mature. But the ideal marriage will never be fully realized in life. It's only fully taught in Scripture. So you're... As we look at seeking God's glory in your home and in the husband and wife relationship, just realize that it's never going to be ideal. Some people think that it is. They get married thinking, oh, now they're married, all their disagreements are over. Some of you that have been married a while laugh. Isn't it funny? After 40 years, you find new things to disagree about? How did that happen? We're human beings. A real marriage is the union of two people who each struggle with sin. And when two people who struggle with sin get put in close proximity, they're going to rub each other the wrong way sometimes. So what does it say? Well, your relationship is supposed to be characterized by your respect for God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Wives submit like Christ submitted to the Father. Jesus, God the Son, submitted to God the Father to bring about redemption's plan. And so wives then submit just like Christ did to the Father. A wife is not lesser than her husband. Some men think so, but those men are delusional. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that husbands and wives are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Now, the fact that God requires the husband to lead in the home, some men think, well, I'm the head, my opinion's more important. It's not what the Bible teaches. Actually, the teaching of Scripture says you're equal partners in God's plan, but if you cannot come to agreement, then God's going to hold the husband responsible for making the decision that's best for the family. And most of the guys who brag about being the head of the home, they're not looking out for their spouse. They're looking out for them. 
A husband cannot bully or boss his wife around. He must love and cherish her as Christ himself loved the church. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that if a husband doesn't cherish his wife, God will not listen to his prayers. And Ephesians 5 says that he is supposed to uh, love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So guys only, what does the Bible mean when it says Christ gave himself for the church? Sacrifice. A sacrifice. What, what specific sacrifice? The crucifixion. Christ was willing to endure that for the church. That's how husbands should be willing to endure for their wives. The wife's supposed to be able to submit to a husband who loves the Lord, is dedicated to following the Lord, and one who loves her and looks out for her. But some wives are stuck with husbands who are spiritually immature, but they insist on leading their homes. And so that type of relationship sometimes gives the husband the false idea that he's being appropriate because he's leading, but he's not loving and cherishing. And the wife kind of gets the false idea that she's submitting, but he's leading her in the wrong direction. A wife does not have to follow her husband in sin. There are men who lead and insist their wife do exactly what they want when sometimes it's sin. And the wife needs to follow the Lord first, her husband second. Like verse 18 says, submit to your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Meaning, when it's when you're following the Lord, you submit wholly, completely. It's the appropriate thing to do. God wants the wife to submit. But if the husband chooses a lifestyle of sin, say he decides he's going to be a bank robber and he wants you to be a sidekick, you say, no, I can't do that. And you ask him which bank, and then you call 911. <laughs> and, uh, you can't join into his sin. Now, that's a silly illustration, but you can think of worse illustrations, and there are some pretty graphic things going on out there that husbands insist their wives get involved in. I had one lady tell me, my husband will not allow me to give to the church. Won't allow me to give any money to the church. So what should I do? I told her, well... Give in other ways. Money is just one of the ways you give to the church. You can give to the church by giving your time. You can volunteer. You can do things. And she did. She got very involved and did different things and, and didn't let the inability to give money be a hindrance. Another said, well, my husband will not allow me to attend church. So what should she do? Well, the Bible says we should honor the Lord by going to church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but honor him by being in church. So I said, why don't you suggest to him that, hey, I can honor the Lord by going on Sunday morning, and then I'll honor you by not going on Sunday night. So I'll spend that time with you. Or vice versa. I could not go on Sunday morning and be there on Sunday night. That way I'm honoring you, and I'm honoring my Lord, because I can't just say no. If he absolutely insisted that she couldn't go to church or he was going to do physical harm, then she shouldn't go. and She should just go online and listen to the messages and pray for her husband. Uh, but 
we have to realize the husband-wife relationship is as each and both partners are submitted to the father. That's what makes a healthy marriage. Your ref, ref, I'm sorry, your relationship is supposed to be characterized by respect for God and his rules for the home. So husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. Now what's the outcome? If the wife obeys the submitting part, then the benefit is this is appropriate to the Lord. She's living in a way that pleases the Lord. If the husband loves the wife, what's the benefit mentioned there in Scripture? Verse 19. He won't become bitter. How many of you have ever heard of grumpy old men? Not the movie, just grumpy old men. Okay. I, I've never seen the movie. I, I can't imagine it could possibly be good with a title like that. I think, why would people pay money to see that? But grumpy old men, you don't have to go to a movie. Go to McDonald's. Go to Walmart. Go to the doctor's office. I was at the VA office this week. You do not have to travel to see grumpy old men. They find you. And, and men who are not intentionally choosing to love end up becoming bitter old men. And so the scripture says, listen, this is good for you, wives, to submit, even though it's kind of chafes and it's awkward. It's good for you because then you are obeying the Lord in a special way, like Christ submitted to the Father. And husbands, it's going to keep you from becoming a bitter, cantankerous, grumpy old man. Don't be bitter against them. And then your relationship is also supposed to be characterized by respect for each other. Not just respect for God and his rules in the home, but respect for each other. So a husband and wife should value each other. They, they should value his or her personhood. Uh, Paul, said, uh, Paul said women are not inferior. Uh, there's neither male nor female in Christ. They have different roles. We have to admit that within the home and within the church. God had specific roles reserved for men and for women, and we have to obey him or we're disobeying God. But, but there's an equality of personhood. And yet, how many of you have known... Okay, don't raise your hands on this because you might be sitting next to him and go... Oh, yeah. But how many of you, uh, without raising your hand, you know some guy who acts like he is God's gift to humanity and his wife is the supporting cast to his big show. We have met people like that, endured people like that. Some of you were married to people like that. Maybe you are. But we need to love the whole person. We need to love and respect each other and love the whole person. I was talking with a guy once who was separated from his wife and just desperate to get back to her. And, and he was talking to me. We were sitting out on the hood of his car. 
and he's talking to me about how much he loves her and how much he loves her. And he starts describing why he loves her so much. And everything he said, he described something she did for him. And I said, are you listening to yourself? When I say I love my wife, I talk about her. When you say you love your wife, you talk about you. And you love what she does for you and how she does this for you and, and what she does that for you instead of loving her person. See, see the, the, the scripture says you should actually love and care for each other so much that if there was a brain aneurysm and your spouse's personality was radically altered, you would still be there to love and care for them. Even if there was an accident, an illness, an injury that required um, hospitalization or a wheelchair for the rest of your life or some radical hardship on you, you would love and care for them because you have taken a vow to God and to them. That's the biblical plan. Now, it doesn't always work out. It takes two people to keep their vows to keep a marriage together. And many of you have experienced the brokenness of a spouse who did not honor their vows. But from your side of the picture, you need to show love and respect to your spouse. Because you love and respect God, you're going to love and respect them. That's verse 18. Love your spouse for God's glory, verse 19. Wives, husbands. Verse 20, I really wanted Tim to get up here with his kids and have one of his kids read verse, or have Tim read verse 20, looking right at one of his kids. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then I wanted his kid to be able to look back at him and say, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. But I'm really glad it wasn't Tim and Jeff. <laughs> that would have caused a coughing fit that might have never stopped. <coughs> uh, although I'm eager to get to heaven, I'm not that eager. Okay. I want you to think about this. Obey your parents and love your kids for God's glory. So we're going to share some instruction for kids, for parents, for grandparents, and for everybody. Okay? those who have kids or don't have kids or had kids and they're now with the Lord and you're still here. Instruction for kids. Obey in how many things, Hunter? All things. Did you hear that? Hey, Lucas, did you hear that? Obey in how many things? All. Wow. McKenna, did you hear that one? You're still at home with your parents? Yeah. All things. That's hard. Obey in all things. And what does it say here in this verse? This is well-pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> you want God the Father to smile upon your life? Obey your parents. Ephesians describes it. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is right. It's also to honor your parents is the first commandment with promise, that if you honor your parents, you'll live a better life on earth. This pleases the Lord. Disobedient kids are always doing wrong. 
They're sinning against God, and God is not pleased. If you read in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says, uh, David had done something. He had committed sin against God, against Uriah, against Bathsheba. He'd covered it up, and, and he had committed adultery and murder. And it ends in that chapter by saying these words, the thing that David did displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, God wants children to obey because it pleases him. We have an illustration from Scripture in 2 Samuel 11 of a man whose life did not please the Lord. And so what happened? Well, in chapter 12, what happened in David's life? After that moment when God expressed his displeasure at what David had done, what happened in the next chapter is that a baby died. And David's heart was broken with grief because the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Now, this does not apply just to kids. This applies to seniors. This applies to juniors and sophomores. It applies to all of us. This applies to every one of us. The thing that we do displeases the Lord. There are consequences. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said, because the way people disregarded the Lord's Supper, some of them were extremely ill and some of them died. They died because they displeased the Lord. They suffered illness because they displeased the Lord. Doesn't mean that every illness is a judgment from God. But there are consequences for displeasing the Lord. And kids, there are consequences. Now, if Mr. Ricosi displeased the Lord, how long do you think he has to live with those consequences? 35 years. How old will you be in 35 years, Jim? 90. You're only 55? Oh, 35 years, he'll be 100. I thought he was older than me. That just freaked me out for a minute. I was a teenager when he got married. How could he be younger than me? But, okay, Jim will be in 100. So let's just say that he had to live with the consequences for 35 more years till he was age 100. Hey, Lance, how old are you, dude? Nine. So if Lance does something that displeases the Lord, how long does he have to live with the consequences? 91 years. Do you realize that, kids? I know you think, hey, I'm just a kid. It's no big deal. It's a big deal because there are consequences that could last for a long, long time on planet Earth before you get to heaven. When I was a kid, people told me that I shouldn't do what I was doing because it was going to hurt my knees. Only it didn't hurt my knees at all. And so I did it anyway. I didn't realize there was a compounding hurt that was going on. And there's a lot of things I can't do now that I used to love to do because my knees. And I've had surgery on each one of them that if I'd 
listened when I was a kid, I wouldn't have those consequences now. When you're an adult, you no longer have to obey your parents, but we always have to honor them. So that was kind of easy for me to honor my mother. Uh, when I was growing up, mom was the nicest woman I knew, kindest, most friendly woman on the block. She ministered and cared for people who were mean and obnoxious to her. I saw Christ lived out in her life when I was a kid. It was easy for me to honor my mom. Even though toward the end of her life with Parkinson's and Parkinson's-related dementia, some of her behavior was not a shining example of Christian womanhood, I could still honor her because I knew it really wasn't her fault. She didn't have the mental capacity to avoid those things anymore because the illness that God allowed in her life. And so when we had her memorial service, it was, it was a blessing to be able to honor mom. But when I was a teenager, it was really hard for me to honor dad. And I thank God that he let me get saved, get beyond that, and get into a relationship with my dad that we enjoy seeing each other. He came by yesterday for lunch. We gave each other a bear hug. It's just a blessing to be able to have that relationship. Some of you don't have that. Some of you had horrible relationships with your parents. How could you honor a parent that treated you horribly? Well, you work hard to remember one thing that you learned from them one value that helped your life. And then you try and forget the rest and focus on the one thing that helped you in your life. Or two, or three. What we tend to do is dwell on the negative. We get that reinforced every time we turn on the news. It's the negative, 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 negative. We need to focus on something that we can hang on to and I, I've known people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s still fussing about the parents who raised them for 18 years and never taking responsibility for their own life since then. You need to obey your parents and love your kids for God's glory. So instruction for kids of all ages, you know, i got to honor your parents your whole life. Obey them while you live under their roof. Honor them your whole life. Instruction for parents. Parents, you have the responsibility to lead your kids, to guide them. Your rules should make sense. Explain your rules to your kids. If they, don't, if they disagree, you still enforce the rules, but explain them, kind of like God did. God said, wives submit, because this is the right thing in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives to avoid becoming bitter. Children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your kids, or they're going to get discouraged. So God said, here's the rule, and here's why. Here's the rule, and here's why. You do that with your kids. Here's the rule, and here's why. And now, some rules are God's rules, right? So children, you're not allowed to lie, cheat, steal, slander. That's God's rules. But you're also allowed to have house rules, parents. You can require your kids to clean up their own mess, even though the Bible doesn't say anything about that. You can require them to make their bed. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt make your bed. My wife thinks it should have, but it didn't. 
As long as your rules don't contradict God's rules, you're allowed house rules. But make sure your kids know the difference. Because when they have their own house, they have to know which are God's rules that they have to follow their whole life and which were just your house rules that they can stop following now that they're on their own. And if you cannot explain your rule in clear, understandable language, maybe it's not a good rule. Maybe it's a bad one. By consistently enforcing your rules and applying discipline, being consistent there, you avoid kids becoming discouraged. Your, your discipline needs to be regular, not, not fierce, not, uh, you know, I've, I've never understood a parent about to spank a child saying, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. My dad used to say, this is going to hurt you, boy. He never said anything about it hurting him. But when, when we have to discipline, you have to be consistent. You know what happens a lot? So Ben has his own business. Some weeks that's fantastic, other weeks that's highly stressful. So Ben comes home from an 80-hour week. He's exhausted, and Lance does some little thing that upsets Ben. So now what does Ben do? Boom! Mushroom cloud over Lance's head, you know? <laughs> Why? Because Ben is exhausted. So what you have to do is you have to discipline yourself before you discipline your kids to make sure you're responding in an appropriate manner. This is true on the job, by the way, with employees, people who work with you, coworkers, people who work under you, same rule applies. Be consistent in enforcing the rules and in discipline. Allow the discipline to flow from what's appropriate, not from what you're feeling or emoting at the moment. I know employers, I worked with a boss who you did not want to get with him on days after his kids had come back from their mom's house. It was divorced home, and the kids would come back and they'd be horrible, and the next day he'd be at work and he'd take it out on all of us. <coughs> That's when I scheduled to be in a different department. Seriously. Some parents provoke their kids. Push, 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 push. Some parents become more lenient so that the younger the kids are, so that the youngest kid at age three doesn't have anywhere near the responsibility or discipline that the oldest kid had at age three. Kathy and I were always really watching that, but we didn't even realize we'd let it slip into our lives once. We were in Texas, and Benjamin was how old in the nursery there? He was two. He's two years old in the nursery there, and they told him, Benjamin, it's time to pick up the toys. And Benjamin said... Just leave them on the floor. The older kids will pick them up. <laughs> and the nursery worker told us, and we're like, oh, okay. So we went home, and we watched for that a little bit. Sure enough, there it was. We didn't even see it. We didn't know we were being more lenient because we had four other bodies we were keeping up with. Sorry to sell you out, dude. Threw you under the bus. <laughs> Most of the time, he was a wonderful kid. He was a better son than I was a dad, but that's another subject. So, uh, everybody needs to speak the truth in love, even parents to their kids. Speak the truth in love. Don't harass or exasper, 
exacerbate or provoke your kids. It can discourage them. Make sure you give them responsibilities as they get older, the responsibilities increase. And just a personal thing, I can't really argue this from Scripture except maybe from Psalm 1, do not allow your kids to be sarcastic with each other. It tears down. Psalm 1 said you will not sit in the seat of the scornful. And if you're allowing scorn in your home, you're setting your kids up for interrelational dynamics that are going to be difficult when they're on their own. So I would challenge you in that. Now some instruction for grandparents. How many of you are grandparents? Wow, whole bunch. And some of us are such youthful grandparents, aren't we? You have to allow your kids to raise their kids. All right, grandparents, say this with me. I must allow my kids to raise their kids. Ready? I must allow my kids to raise their kids. Tastes kind of bitter coming out, doesn't it? But we, we have so much more wisdom, you know? We, we have seen the 50s, some of you. We've seen the 60s, even me. The 70s, the 80s, all they've seen is like the 90s and the 20s. And we have all decades of wisdom we could impart. Allow them to ask for it. God said, children, obey your parents, not your grandparents. Some dads want the patriarchal model. They rule the home even after their kids are grown. That's not the pattern in the New Testament. That was the pattern of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the pattern in the New Testament. In the New Testament, everybody's a believer priest. We all answer to the Lord. And so we grow up under the authority of our parents, and then we're released to serve the Lord as a believer priest once we're an adult. So when your kids are around, your kids are in charge. When you're watching your grandkids for your kids, you check with your kids about the rules. If they can have different house rules than you did, that's okay. You can even have house rules at your house um, that you enforce on your grandkids and just tell your kids, look, this house rule that you hated when you were a kid, we still have that house rule, so make sure your kids follow the house rule. That's okay, but you have to allow the parents to be in charge. You obey God and you respect your kids. That's your role as grandparenting. Now instruction for everybody. Obey the Lord in your own life, in your own life. You may be a family of one. That's okay. In your home, you obey the Lord, and you serve and follow Him. Pray for married couples. I know a lot of people who tell me they're praying for my wife. I don't really understand that. Pray for parents. Pray for kids. Pray for those involved in children's ministry. Never give kids a treat without checking with their parents first. Don't give them a chocolate chip cookie and say, hey, don't tell your parents. Here you go. Don't be that kind of grandparent. Don't be that kind of adult. Don't be that kind of friend to a kid. Um, never tell a kid, don't tell your parents. Um, that's a, a very dangerous habit in our culture. That's what people who molest kids do. Don't tell anybody. No, kids need to be able to tell their parents anything that's a possible threat. Uh, don't criticize parents in front of their kids. 
say, Tim and Clorinda, do something with Hunter that Jim and Cloyce think would be not the best way to handle it. What do they do? They pray about it, and later, if they really feel they need to bring it up, they get alone with Tim or Clorinda and bring it up. They don't say in front of, hey, now, Tim, you're being way too rough on Hunter. No, Jim would say, you're being way too lenient on Hunter. Man, toughen him up. Right? <laughs> you can't, do not criticize the parents in front of the kids. And that's true in our, our workers. In Awana, to be honest with you, we have some fantastic kids in our Awana program. We have some parents who need to grow up. I'm, am I right? Those who work in Awana, the directors especially? Yeah, we do. And, and I'm not talking about parents who attend our church. No, they're a cut above. But, but seriously, there are some kids who have more emotional maturity than their parents do. But you don't say that in front of the kids. You get alone with the parent, you talk them through, and you help them. It's part of discipling the whole family. And I encourage you to get involved in ministering to kids. You say, well, I, I can't handle Awana. That's all right. I couldn't handle it Thursday night either. I stayed home and let Teresa do everything. Uh, <laughs> I, you can't handle Awana. Fine. Do you know one of the ways the older people in this church ministered to my kids when we came here? They listened to them. They talked to them. Occasionally. They took them to McDonald's or gave us money to take them to McDonald's. And when our kids came into church, there were like dozens of grandparents in the church that showed love and grace to them. And they knew their names. Now, some didn't, you know, oh, your daughter, the one with glasses. Um, some never learned the kids' names. And they never had a personal impact on our kids. But the ones who learned their names and their personalities, there were a couple times we used them for babysitters. We'd send the kids off to a different grandparent in town, and Kathy and I'd take off for the valley for a day. And we'd have a great time, and they would have a great time. In fact, a lot of people tried to adopt them away from us. But. <laughs> and then this is very important talks about wives and husbands and children and fathers. And we all fall into the category at some point in your life, you were a child or a dad or a spouse or somewhere in there you fall in. You need to remind yourself that God put people in your life. You need to love them as he does. If my dad were here today and I asked him to share a testimony about what a great dad he was, he would get up and say, I was not a great dad. I was too hard on my kids. And I thank God they love me anyway. See, nobody's perfect. Nobody had an ideal father other than our heavenly father. Everybody else's dad was obnoxious sometimes. That's why there's specific warning in Scripture saying, Dads, you have a tendency to do this. Back off! So, love them anyway. God brought these people into your life. And maybe you don't like the choices your kids have made or are making or down the road will make. God still brought them into your life. Show them love where you can and there's times you just have to pray and leave them with the Lord. 
I said, God, you allowed me to raise them, but now they're your kids. They won't listen to me, so now they're yours. And, and just keep loving and remind yourself that God is using the people he brings into your life, even family, to help shape you into the person he wants you to become that's more like Jesus Christ. Don't let past offenses influence current relationships. This is confession time. Ready? How many of you have ever done something dumb that you later regretted? Raise your hand. <laughs> Those who didn't raise their hands are either paralyzed or not fessing up. <laughs> what if people held that against you? The same grace you receive from people, you want to show to people. I had a Sunday school teacher come up to me when I preached in her church as an adult man. She said, you were a terror in my class. She said, I used to pray that you would be sick. <laughs> you know, I think I missed church about 20 times that year. Now I know why. She said, I used to pray that you'd be sick so the other kids could listen to God's word better without you there. And she said, look what God did. Now, I never, ever knew that. The only thing I ever knew is when I was there, she showed love to me. I didn't realize how miserable I made her life that year. Amazingly, she still taught Sunday school 20 years later. I didn't drive her out. Don't let past offenses influence current relationships. Love God. Love people. Try to please God. Try to encourage people. Your life should model the love and grace of Jesus Christ. God gave us the relationships. Now it's our job to cherish them, strengthen them, pray over them, model his love and grace. And God can do a great work in anybody because he's God and he really is awesome and he can change hearts. People that are angry with you right now and refusing to forgive you right now, their hearts can be changed by God, not by you, by him. Spend time in prayer. Show love where you can. Trust God. Maybe it will never be restored in this life, but in heaven you will not have the animosity any longer. Trust God. The only ideal relationship is found in Scripture. Every other one is two sinful people connected together for a time in a relationship on planet Earth, and we're gonna have struggles. But by God's grace we can do a great job to bring glory and honor to him. Hey, there's a song that we're going to sing. It's called uh, A Christian Home. We're going to sing the first three verses of this song. And uh, I want you to think about your own home. And part of this song talks about fathers, mothers. You say, okay, you know, I'm in my 60s, I'm in my 70s, I live alone. What, how does that apply to me? Well, just focus on what does apply to you. 
Are you one that can point other people to Christ? Are you one that is drawing closer to Him? Are you one that makes Christ the head and counselor and guide in your life? That's what we need to really focus on. So Jim's going to come, us and, lead, come and lead us in all three of these verses. And after we sung these verses, I'm going to ask Bill Zimmerman if he would come to dismiss us in prayer this morning. Now, I do not know what's going on in your life, and if you want to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, I would love to help you. I'm not going to personally do it this morning because I'm sick. I don't want to spread the joy around. I've been on antibiotic. I shouldn't be spreading it around, but just to be safe. Uh, but, you know, we got folks here at the front who would love to show you how you can trust Christ as your Savior. If you're in a very difficult situation and you want somebody to pray with you, you can come down here to the front. There are people who would love to pray with you. You don't go it alone. You walk with the Lord, but you also walk with Christian brothers and sisters who can help you, who can strengthen you, who can encourage you. Live in a way that pleases God. Live in a way that encourages others. Let's stand as Jim leads us in this song.